So this morning, I'm going to share with you what the Lord has been doing in my life um, over the last couple of years. Um, I appreciate the worship this morning. Um, it brings me back um, to some earlier days in my faith, in my, in my younger days. Um, and really, it was hard for me just not to cry this morning because what I want to talk to you about this morning is something that God has... I cried, probably cried in the first verse. I cried in this one. Um, that he's crushed me on. That I've not kept my end of the bargain up. And uh, so I just want to share with you this morning what that is. And, um, and share with you my heart. So let's just pray um, over our sermon. God... I just need you this morning. I don't want people to see me. I don't want people to see my life or anything about me. I want them to see you and what you've done for us. And that you would just help me where I stumble, that you would just allow me to speak clearly and speak your words, and that you would just allow this message to have as an impact on as many hearts as it has on mine. God, we love you. I thank you for being my Savior. I thank you for loving me before I ever loved you. As he's saying in your son's name, amen. So I'm asking you one question this morning. Who are you praying for daily to have an opportunity to share Jesus with? So that's the same question that I got asked when I was listening to a sermon in the beginning of 2019, so just a couple years ago. It's a simple question. Who are you praying for daily to have an opportunity to share Jesus with? And the reason I'm crushed by that is I didn't like my answer. My answer was just as simple, and that question is simple, but it's personal. It's not, who do I want to see get saved? It's not, who do I want to bring to church? It's not, who my family am I caring about? The question is, who am I praying for every day to share Jesus with? And the reason I didn't like my answer, because it was way too simple, it was nobody. I'm embarrassed to admit that. As a former deacon, a Sunday school teacher, and a Christian for more than 25 years, I had nobody I was praying for on a daily basis. Why was that? Why had I lost my eagerness to share my faith? Sharing your faith seems very easy for some people. At least it looks that way. I think many of you in here this morning... I think people like Randy Sturm and the impact I see that he has on his coworkers all the time. I think if you and Jenny Buzzard and all the people I've seen walk through through the Mary College basketball program because they've shared their faith with them. I think in Jim and Suzanne Dietz and their intentional discipleship of international students that have come onto our soil here to make sure that they have heard who Jesus is. But sharing my faith has not been it's not easy for me. I'm sure many of you share feel the same way. See, it looks like some people, they can just breathe on somebody, and they'll accept an invitation to church, and next thing they know, they're missionaries. I'm like, what happened? That's not me. I think of the many awkward conversations, the turndowns, and the hundreds of times I've just flat chickened out of even mentioning Jesus and the opportunities there. Maybe God has not made me for personal evangelism. 
You know, we all get spirit, different spiritual gifts, and I was using mine in lots of different ways. But that's just a self-justification. I used it to make myself feel better about not actually personally sharing my faith. You see, my justification was I was serving faithfully in this church. I was teaching Bible studies. I was doing a Sunday school, and heck, I'd even asked to preach and didn't get booed off stage. But I wasn't sharing Christ. Now, see, I was praying for people to come to know Christ, but it was never with regularity, and it was never with a sense of urgency. See, on the outside, I looked good, but the inside, I knew I was missing the mark. So why am I not telling more people about Jesus? So this message is for me. Over the last, I told somebody, I've probably got 25 or 30 hours into this message. But it's been God working on me. And I want to share that with you. And I'm going to tell you what's wrong with me. And I want you guys to stop and look at your own hearts. The one reason, one reason that I have not telling more people about Jesus is I have deceived myself about personal evangelism. What is personal, evan personal evangelism? It's praying for an opportunity to tell those around us about the message of Jesus. You see, there's two key parts to that definition. The first is to pray, and the second is to tell. See, I believe we have deceived ourselves into thinking that we are engaging in evangelism simply by living a good Christian life. In reality, most of us aren't evangelizing a single person. Often, we're not imagining a single person. We're only hoping that people will walk up to us and ask how to be saved just because we live our life in a good way. I know this because this is what I was doing. We see, personal evangelism, it requires a conversation. Often, we want to focus on the supporting parts of that but we completely miss the boat on what Jesus has actually called us to do. You see, evangelism is not a bumper sticker. It's not a plate of cookies. It's not a Facebook post. It's not a nice word. It's not even an act of service. All of those are great things that can assist us in sharing the gospel. But when we do those things, we're not actually sharing anything. We're not sharing any part of Jesus. But we tend to cling to those because they make us feel good, and they help keep us in our comfort zone. You see, people around us don't come to know Jesus just by being nice and living a good life. They become Christians because we have poured into their lives and had real conversations about all of our need for Jesus. You see, we've been deceived by our own comfort and lured there by Satan so that we don't actually share the gospel with anybody. So the story of redemption that we have in Jesus can't be understood by just seeing our actions. It is not understood by me delivering a yummy plate of cookies. It is not understood by me being nice. Those are things that give us the opportunity, but they don't actually deliver the gospel. All those things we do require us to have a conversation, but they open a door. Without that intentional conversation, there's nothing there. All those good things we do without a conversation about Jesus are actually just self-marketing. 
It's, look how good I am. Look how nice I am. But really, they should be Jesus marketing, telling how great and how good he is. And that comes with the conversation. The other reason, one of the reasons we're not telling people about Jesus is we don't think it's our responsibility to share our faith. The current opinion on Christians has changed drastically on this. In 1993, Barner Research did a study and found that 89% of Christians felt that they had a responsibility to share their faith. They redid that study in 2015 and found that that number went from 89% to 64%. 25% more Christians feel like they have no obligation to share their faith. And I'm sure it is less today. We see personal evangelism, it's the bedrock of Jesus' ministry. It's what he has called each and every single one of us to do. And the Bible gives zero middle ground on this. There is no way you can look at the Bible and say, I think I can keep it quiet. We have to tell people. So this morning, I want to start by opening our Bibles and we'll look at Jesus' ministry. Let's just look at what Jesus did. Let's look at his ministry because as followers, we're called to replicate Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, we're going to look at how Jesus began his ministry here on earth. It says in verse 18, And Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee and saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. See, in verse 19, Jesus very simply said, follow me and I will, oh, that's bad, okay. Follow me and I will, I will make you fishers of men, okay. The disciples had no clue, these fishermen at this time had no clue what he was talking about. But they knew one thing. He said, if you do this, if you follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. That was the only promise that Jesus gave him. That's the only thing. It wasn't, I'll make you better. I'll make you rich. I'll make you happy. I'll make you healthier. It is, I will make you a fisher of men. And they followed. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16 through 20. And let's look at the very end of Jesus' ministry. Matthew 28 and verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am always with you to the very end of the age. So Jesus' original call was, Come and follow and I will make you a fisher of men. The disciples now get it. Three years earlier, he called and says, follow, become a fisher of men. They don't know how to fish for men. They do now. They looked at what Jesus did over those last three years, and Jesus' whole ministry was to replicate exactly what he was doing, was to make more disciples. Now that Jesus' ministry is complete, he has now changed their job. He's commissioning disciples to go out and make disciples of all nations. Originally, he called disciples. He said, come and see what I'm going to do. And now he's saying, go and tell what I have done. He has changed their role from being a spectator to being a participant. 
Many will say, well, that's good and dandy, but those were the disciples. Those were the professional Christians. It's just sharing my faith is only for the pastors. It's only for those professional Christians. It's not true. In Acts chapter 8, we see after Jesus has went back, after he has ascended back to heaven, we see where the persecutions broke out in the church in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The twelve professionals that were left, they stayed in Jerusalem. All the others went across the world. And what did they do? They preached the gospel wherever they went. As I worked through this, I kept trying to find more scripture that was what is our call to tell other people. There's actually not that much scripture, and there doesn't need to be. Paul does not need to write a whole book to somebody to explain why we should evangelize, because the early church understood it. He didn't have to explain anything. He's like, look here, Jesus said, follow me, I'll make fishers men. They said, go make disciples. Yeah, I think it's covered. There's nothing else I need to add to this. We don't need to explain anything else. It's just go and do. In 2 Corinthians um, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, he tells people, he says, And all this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task, to reconcile people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, God is making his appeal through us. When we speak for Christ, we plead, come back to God. See, God is using us to make that appeal. It's not always a loud, booming voice. It is our job to make the appeal for Christ. It's what he's called us to do. See, there's no middle ground on whether we can say we should or shouldn't share our faith. We cannot be obedient to Christ if we're not sharing our faith. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to make disciples. Another reason we're not telling people about um, our faith or telling more people about Jesus is because I'm afraid because I rely on my strength and not God's power. Thankfully, we have a God who created us and saved us. See, God knows each of our limitations, and he knows all of our failings. See, the hardest part about personal evangelism is having the courage to have a conversation. Often the people God has put on our heart are our friends and our family, and we are fearful of ruining those relationships or driving them further away from God. But we should be anything but fearful. If we're following the commandments of Jesus, we should be emboldened. See, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1, For this reason... I remind you to fan into a flame the gift of God, which is the gospel, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join in me in suffering for the gospel for the power of God. See, the reason we're fearful 
is we're trying to save people by ourselves. Jesus never called Jeremiah to save anybody, and I am thankful for that. He called us to share, not to save. Let me be clear and set expectations. The success rate of leading people to Jesus is really, really low. The Bible says that the path is narrow and few find it. So we cannot gauge our obedience by the number of conversions we make. We gauge it by the opportunities we take. So we can overcome the fear of sharing Jesus when we rely on the tools that God has given us. We should be terrified of sharing our faith if we're relying on ourselves to do that. If we're not praying for that right opportunity, if we're not relying on God to ready that person's heart, then we're setting ourselves up for fear and failure. See, God does not want you to reach people. He wants to reach people through you. But he doesn't make us do it alone. So God equipped us with the two most powerful tools in the universe to do this. God gave us the Holy Spirit, and he gave us the gospel. I mean, look at the 12 disciples. They were a rough bunch of fishermen, zealots, and tax collectors. The gospel would go nowhere if God relied upon their skills and talents to deliver it. So Jesus picked the worst and the most untalented group to build his ministry off of. He did it on purpose. He never wanted anyone to be confused about who has the power to save and where change truly came from. But he used the talents and circumstances of those 12 to reach the world. See, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, this is after Jesus is sent back to heaven, it says, During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and provided them, provided, proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. For when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but just in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus told the disciples to wait. Even though they had walked and been trained directly by Jesus for three years, they were not ready and they were incapable of being able to reach the lost. They needed more than themselves. So he made them wait until he sent the Holy Spirit to them. He didn't send them out on any missions to make any conversions until he had the Holy Spirit. See, if we're not being led by the Holy Spirit, we're going to fail. And those conversations about Jesus are going to be really hard and awkward. But what we're promised and what we know is the Holy Spirit is active and it's moving. See, God at this very moment is opening hearts of the people around us, and he's preparing opportunities for every single one of us to share the message of Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit will guide and direct you on when to speak and what to say when that time comes. You will have boldness and confidence and the correct method to reach those God has put on your heart and put on your path if you rely on the Holy Spirit and not yourself. But God just didn't give us one power. He gave us two. He gave us the power of the gospel. In Romans 1.16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for salvation. And just stop and think about that. The gospel, it says, is the power of God. It's not like God. It doesn't use his power. It is the power of God to save. See, no one else can defeat death. No one else can save like God. 
And he's given us that power through the gospel to do that. So when I, when I think about that, I have to stop and close my eyes and visualize it. I say, when I deliver the gospel, when I deliver the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done for us, that message goes out of my mouth. That is the power of God. It literally goes and stands beside the person you're talking to. And if that person opens their heart to Jesus at that moment, God immediately conquers Satan. He defeats him. He breaks every chain. And he frees that person and makes them a new creature from the words we speak at that point. That is power. And it is inside of us. It is just the message. And he's given us two powers. He's given us the Holy Spirit to know when to do it and how to say it, and the message of the gospel of what to say. You see, the gospel doesn't need my help. It doesn't need me to make it better. It doesn't need me to try to figure out what to say or how to say it. It just needs to be said. And if we can choose to listen to the Holy Spirit and the gospel, nothing is going to stop our conversations, and nothing is going to make us fearful. But the main reason I am not telling more people about Jesus is I have forgotten what Jesus has done for me. So as I continue to wrestle with this question of why am I not sharing and praying for people daily, God helped me realize that my heart did not look like his. See, I have a sinful heart, and mine's full of pride. And I care more about me. I care about more about me than I do the people around me, and I'm sure many of you can say the same. See, the decisions I make every day are focused on serving me and my family, and my Savior comes second. I had forgotten what Jesus had done for me. I can make excuses for why my heart doesn't look like his, but it's nothing more than sin and wanting to put myself first. But when I look at the life of Jesus, it looks nothing like my life. See, he surrounded himself with messy people. He gave up his turn in heaven to love you and I. He was willing to be forsaken when he could have had it all, either on, here on earth or in heaven. I easily forget how great and wonderful of a God we serve is. And what happens when I focus my energy and efforts on me instead of God is I easily forget what he's done for me. So I want each of you to stop for a moment and just think, where were you when Jesus saved you? What situation were you in? Do you remember that empty and lost feeling before Jesus? Some of us have been saved for a long time, and we've forgotten. See, Jesus came and rescued you when we were all out of options. When I had tried for the longest time to fix myself, he came and fixed me. See, he brought a new peace and purpose to my life. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. Psalms 105.5 Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he has done for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my disease. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like eagles. The story of the gospel is powerful. So Jesus came from heaven and loved a sinner like me. He gave up his perfect life so I could have life again. 
There's nothing I can do to earn that love. There's nothing I can do to repay that love because I accepted the free gift He gave me when He called my heart to His. But how easily I forget or forget or downplay my salvation. I want to think that I'm good enough, but I know I'm not. I need to be reminded daily of how great He is and how perfect His love is for me. I need to live more in the gospel and immerse myself in His truth. When I do that, I love Him more, and I know who I am in His eyes. What do you need to do so that you remember what God has done for you? Do you need to spend more time thanking God than asking God? Do you need to build a monument in your life? We look in the Old Testament, and we see throughout Scripture where they would build monuments to remember the great things God has done. Do you need to build a monument? It could be physical. It could be time. Do you you need a monument in your life of each day, each month, or even each year where you set apart a special time where you bring your heart back to Christ, where you look at Him and say, thank you for what you have done for me. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see that the people in the Old Testament of Israel were instructed to never forget what God has done for them and what He called them to do. It says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. So the best way we can be reminded of what Jesus has done for us is to tell others. Tell them what he's done for you and what he can do for them. If we live in a gospel frame of mind, we become more thankful for our salvation every day and more eager to share it. And we know and remember the power that it has. So we cannot forget what God has done for us through his son Jesus. So where do we go from here? I know why we don't share, but what do we need to do? The first is prayer. We need to start there. I was my message this morning. I asked you the question, who are you praying for daily to come to know Jesus? It all starts with prayer. I know that every single one of you sitting here today is here because someone prayed for you. Maybe a mother or father that has prayed for you since the day you were born. It may be a coworker or a friend that has prayed for an opportunity to share Christ for you for years. It may be a stranger you don't even know that has prayed over you to be here to hear the gospel today. Prayer changes things. It changes the person that we're praying for, but also changes us. See, we need to be consistent and persistent in our prayers for the lost. Paul in the book of Colossians asked the people there to pray for them and his ministry. Colossians 4, verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards others. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace. Season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. We also need to start relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and of the gospel. So Jesus didn't ask us to go alone. He doesn't want us to go alone. He equipped each of us with the two most powerful, powerful things in the universe, the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel. 
when you start to push aside our fears and start living in the power that he's equipped us with and knowing what that power is and what it can do. But what also takes preparation and practice. To be effective in anything in life, it takes practice. And sharing your faith is nothing different than that. It's never easy to share our faith if we're not prepared. 1 Peter uh, 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So we need to be ready for every single opportunity. This fall, I want to help you be ready for the opportunity. On Wednesday night um, in November, we're going to take a spinoff of this series and do a, an evangelism workshop. How do we share our faith? What's my story? What has God done in my life? It's going to involve writing it down, reflecting on it, praying over it, and practice telling it. If you do those things, you'll be ready and prepared for when God does bring you that opportunity. So the sermon I mentioned at the beginning of the message was titled, titled Who's Your One? And the pastor was challenging his church to prayerfully pray over one person God has put on your heart to share Jesus with. But as I wrestled over this sermon for the last couple of weeks, and I prayed for this message, I kept stumbling on the idea of the one. I don't believe God has called us to focus on just one person. I can't find any scripture substantiate putting all of our efforts and all of our prayers on trying to get one person saved. See, focusing on one person limits your ministry and limits God. Our prayers for the law should focus on more than just our children in our home and the other one person we care about. We need to expand our prayers and ask God to expand our gospel influence. He will open our eyes to opportunities that are all around us. I caution you not to focus on just the one, because we do not know God's timing for when their heart will be open to receive him. I know that I have a role to share the gospel with the hundreds of people I share life with. If I focus on just the one, I will let all of them walk by, and God's preparing their hearts possibly earlier and even today to share the Christ with. See, over the last two years, God has opened my eyes and my heart to personal evangelism. And when my eyes have been opened, it's amazing the opportunities I have had to share Jesus. Now, I can't show you a laundry list of people that have come to know Christ, but I can show you a laundry list of opportunities I was able to share Jesus and how easy it was when my eyes were opened to his opportunities. I wasn't trying to force the gospel in somewhere. I'm not talking about standing on the edge of a building shouting. It's personal. It's you and I engaging with the people around us to tell them who Jesus is and praying for the opportunity of when God opens that door and you can just step right into it. It's an amazing and beautiful thing. Lindsay and I have had our heart call to that over the last couple of years, and now we get to come home and say, hey, you won't believe it. I shared the Christ with so-and-so. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, I was at an office for work talking with a gentleman that his life does not look like Christ's. Pretty rude and crude. I'm like, okay. I'm like, how am I going to get this in here? Because I don't see any opportunity. Like, it is closed off. And I began to talk to him, and he began just to share his life. And he shared about the passing of his nephew 
and how God showed up in the worst time. And I was able to share grace and mercy with him. And it just unfolded. And he's like, yeah, but I don't get it. I don't get this. And I was going to share what Jesus had done. On a day that I had no expectation to share who Jesus was, God opened a door. Now, he's not come to know Christ yet, but I get texts from him that say, hey, thanks for that sermon I listened to. It's really good. It's really applicable. Hey, thank you for that. See, often our one that we focus on is that close family member and friend, and they're the hardest to reach. I relate this situation as if I'd said, I'm going to go climb a mountain, Mount Everest. That's where I'm going first. It's crazy. It's not impossible, but it's crazy. A better approach would be, you don't want to climb a mountain. How about I start with those hills, and then I'll get that small mountain, and I'll get those bigger mountains, so that when one day I have the opportunity to climb Mount Everest, I will be ready to take the opportunity. And that's what it is with the one we're praying for. We all have that person in our life where we are struggling to reach them. But there will be an opportunity someday, and you need to be prepared and ready for it. I have not given hope or stopped praying for my one, and you shouldn't either. See, I've been praying and looking for opportunities to share the gospel with my one for over 25 years now. And the door seems more closed today than it ever has been. But I know this. God is building me and shaping me through my open eyes to the opportunity he's laying in front of me as I wait on my one. See, the harvest is great, and we need more workers. We need to have a bigger vision of what the whole harvest looks like and how each of us participates in that harvest. It may not be you that reaches your one, but you may reach someone else's one, and someone else will reach your one. As we close, I want to be clear today about a few things. If you're a follower of Christ, you're commanded and we have an obligation to share our faith. If you're not sharing Jesus, you're not following Jesus. We're just watching Jesus. Tony said a few weeks ago, and I commend him for saying it, Jesus is not your Savior if he's not the Lord of our life. We cannot look at our faith and say, I am so happy what Jesus did for me, I'm going to keep it quiet. Because Jesus told us one thing, go and make fishers of men. Go make disciples. There, you cannot separate the two. You cannot say Jesus is the Lord of my life and not do what he commands you to do. So here's the challenge today. I want you to start intentionally praying for who God wants you to share the gospel with. We all have the one that's probably in our hearts. But I need you to start praying over that one and praying for who else God's going to put in our path. Because that one may take a decade. But you'll be surprised when you open your heart and eyes to the ones all along the way that God's going to put there for you to share the Christ with. I want you to write down those names. And I want you to write down the name of who's your one. And I want you to write down, down the names of who God's put in your path. This is a long year. You've got all kinds of opportunities. It may be a Christmas service. It may be an Easter service. It may be this. It may be that. Start praying and asking God for the opportunity to share your faith with that person. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd invite you to do that. The reason I've been so hard on us in this room today is because I know the message. I know the salvation I've gotten, 
and we've kept it quiet way too long. The message is too good to keep it quiet. If you've never accepted him, we would love to have the opportunity to share with you who Jesus is and how he can defeat Satan the day you put your trust in him. Let us pray.